Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. We are here for the 7th Annual All-Parish St. George's Day celebration. And uh, this is, uh, it it gives us really an opportunity to ponder... um, and celebrate the gospel through the life of this particular saint in church history. And what saint days do is that they remind us that God always works through our ordinary lives, and that you, even as a saint, God is at work through your ordinary life as well. And that actually, as a saint, while in this world you will have tribulation, fear not, for Christ has overcome the world. I think that's a real important lesson in a saint day. To be a saint does not mean the absence of struggle. Rather, instead, it can mean, actually, the struggle can and will be all the more present. As Luther wrote in his great hymn, A mighty fortress is our God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. St. George is the patron saint of a number of countries, including England, Russia. The entire country of Georgia is literally named after him. He's the patron saint of Arab Christians. When you go to Palestine, when you go to uh, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, there outside of Christian homes, you will see his image. St. George is one of those rare instances where both the man and the myth are very important and tell us something about the Christian faith. The man reminds us that the struggle is actually real, is real. St. George was a man who was born uh, to a very prominent and noble Roman military family in what was called Cappadocia, which would be in Turkey today. And uh, uh, George's family were personal friends with the emperor, which was very rare in those days because they were a Christian family, and George shared that same faith. And George made his way through the military ranks, as was his family custom. And by his early 20s, he was uh, what was called a tribunus who served in the Praetorian Guard. This was the personal army of the emperor. They protected the emperor. However, when Diocletian became the emperor of Rome, he announced, and he hated Christianity, and he announced all all of his soldiers had to make sacrifices to the Roman gods. And George refused. This angered Diocletian. However, because of the politics of the day uh, and the reputation of George's family, Diocletian just couldn't bounce George. And so what happened was is that he tempted George with lands and titles to renounce his faith. And George remained steadfast all the more. As a matter of fact, at that moment, he began to evangelize his fellow soldiers. Finally, after exhausting all options, Diocletian had St. George beheaded on April 23rd, 303 AD, and his body was sent home for burial. And Christians began to honor George as a martyr, and soon his tomb became a place of pilgrimage for soldiers, um, especially during the Crusades. A lot of Crusaders went there. But George, interestingly enough, is one of the few saints in Christendom that is venerated by both Christians and Muslims. But this veneration of the Crusaders, by the Crusaders, uh, 
involved him in what was called the Golden Legend. And the Golden Legend were a series of tales of saints that were kind of um, really souped up. And uh, the Golden Legend became an allegory for the Christian life. And the Golden Legend essentially is this, that involves uh, St. George, is that um, uh, St. George passed by um, the city of Silenen, which would be in today, modern-day Libya. And this particular city was tormented by a dragon. And originally they would feed the dragon like sheep, and that satisfied the dragon's hunger for a bit. But pretty soon that wasn't enough. And so the king um, gave an edict that everybody had to feed their, they would draw lots. And whoever's lot came up, they would feed the child to the dragon. And so and that was an amazing idea until the lot fell on the king. And he was like, wait a minute. And everybody was like, no, no, no. And so anyway, and at just the right time, St. George strolls in. And he says, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to slay this dragon. And George does. And he brings the head of the dragon back to the king. And the king and the entire province is converted to Christianity. Money is given for churches and for schools. God, if only it was that easy. And, uh, um, but... Uh, But this becomes the first point here, is that the legend of St. George, so the man at St. George reminds us that the struggle is actually real. The struggle is real. And there are Christians in that part of the world that give their life for the sake of Jesus still today. But the legend of St. George becomes an allegory for the Christian life. And there's a profound truth in this allegory that all of us will face some sort of dragon, some sort of form of spiritual warfare. Yet in the name of Jesus, like George, there's no satanic or demonic foe that can ultimately stand in our way and have victory over us. Yet as 21st century New Yorkers, I mean, come on. We live in a skeptical age, and we can be blind to the spiritual. We can actually diminish it if not deny it altogether. This is what made last year's uh, summer horror movie hit, Hereditary, starring Tony Collette, so absolutely terrifying. Because it's all about what happens when a secular family actually encounters the supernatural and the demonic. Anyway, was I the only one that saw that movie? But anyway... I mean, that movie scared the hell out of me afterwards. Ben and I saw it. We were both wearing collars. And I stood up and was like, everybody needs to go to church. So, uh, but, uh, but the point of this movie was, is that just because you don't believe it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And when one watches what is going on in this country, when one watches what is going on in this world, when one looks at their own personal life, from self-involvement, addiction, compulsion, white lies, depression, you begin to understand that there are forces that seek to defy God, that swirl around us and even sometimes within us. And the presence of evil, when you begin to understand that, becomes unmistakable. And the influence of evil, man, that's hard to ignore. No matter how sophisticated we think we are, Our reading from the book of Revelation gives us an insight into this cosmic and heavenly struggle that is actually taking place. 
And remember, when we read the book of Revelation, we use the scriptures. The Bible is our hermeneutic, not the New York Times. This is a little less sensational, but it's so much more powerful. And in the first seven verses of chapter 12, which precede our reading, we read about a woman. And this woman is being pursued by the dragon. And this woman is the embodiment of faithful Israel. And she gives birth to a son who is the Messiah, Jesus. And this moment is a huge blow to Satan and his armies. And St. John sees in this major, major moment that a war breaks out into heaven. And Michael and his angels fight against the dragon. And John tells us that this great dragon, which is the devil, is cast down to the earth. This lies up with Luke chapter 10 when Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from the sky. And is also the same theme for all of you Revelation buffs that is in Revelation chapter 20. So this is what's going on. And Satan is cast down to the earth. And this is good news for all of us who have been downcast. Because what John sees in Satan being cast down to the earth is that ultimately by the preaching of the gospel, Satan no longer has the authority to enter into heaven as he did in the case of Job and make sticking accusations against his saints. That is you and me, baptized Christians. He can make them and you can believe it, but they have no authority over you. And this is my second point. The scriptures teach us that the devil and the demonic realm are real. There's a real spiritual world of evil out there. And when we encounter it, we need to trust the word over our own senses and sensibilities. And we trust the word because it gives the real promise from God that we have already overcome the devil, not by our works, not by Michael's victory, but as it says in the Bible, by the blood of the Lamb in our reading today. That's our testimony, the blood of the Lamb, that we have been washed in Christ's blood, removing every bit of sin, every trace of it. And Satan can accuse you all you want. But because your sins have been paid in full, you're not just not guilty before God, you're completely innocent. They have no binding authority over you. And this promise is delivered to you and received by faith in the sacraments of baptism and holy communion. And this is what makes the liturgies, of the, the prayers of the liturgies so powerful. You know, we don't scroll in and say, greet your neighbor to the left of you. We stroll in and say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. These are the prayers in the language of heaven. When we, the church militant, who are still engaged with the struggle, join the church triumphant and with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. When you came into St. George's Church today, you may have been a little wet, but you entered into a thin place where in worship... We celebrate this profound truth that Satan has been conquered by the blood of the Lamb. This is serious business here today. And in a moment, Taylor and Allison, on behalf of your daughter, Hunter Christine, you're going to vow to renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness and its empty promises that come with it. Actually, what you're doing here today 
is totally countercultural. It's really hippie when you think about it. And um, that was supposed to be funny. But anyway, <laughs> because there's nowhere else in society where we can do this anymore. You think about it in society, it's just like, hey, you're okay, no big deal. No. Here in the church, this is the last place, one of the last places where we recognize real evil and we renounce it. However, many of you may be asking, well, what real good is it? What real good is it in this age? Well, let me tell you, it's all, it's all. Because in this age, the struggle is very real. And it is real because, as John saw, the devil knows his time is short. And when we find ourselves struggling, brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves believing the lie that God is angry, hostile, and into tit-for-tat, you do your part and maybe I'll do mine, when we find ourselves doubting God's grace and reverting to addictions or maybe even sometimes succumbing to them and feeling discouraged and being robbed of our peace, the mantra of the world, the mantra of Oprah is, hey, look within Find the strength within. And let me tell you, man, that is only going to get you so far. That is only going to get you so far because we are finite and we are weak. But when we are weak, there God in Jesus is finely and really is strong. And when we realize that, we join our voice with the church, militant and triumphant, and yell into the darkness with all of the power of Holy Spirit, I am baptized. It's not, I decided to follow Jesus. It is, I am baptized. And this is my third point. For in that proclamation, we declare that we reject the empty promises of this world and the lies of the devil and are receiving and clinging to all the full promises of God in his gospel. And in that proclamation... We actually confess that it is never about how much we cling to Jesus, but rather instead how much Jesus, with his wounded hands, is actually clinging to us and will never, ever let us go. And so as we witness Hunter's baptism today, be reminded of your own. And as you come forward to receive and taste in bread that is his body and wine that is his blood, heavenly food that are the tokens of his victory. Rejoice. Rejoice in this wonderful mystery. Rejoice in this wonderful mercy that the devil has been defeated. You have been totally forgiven, and by water you have been given a promise that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.